Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Many small liberal arts colleges today are facing daunting challenges, including dwindling admissions and diminishing revenues. In 2004, Adrian College in Michigan was one of those struggling schools. That's when new president, Dr. Jeffrey Docking, took over. And the success he's engineered since is nothing short of breathtaking. And college sports have played a significant role in that success. Dr. Docking has written a book called Crisis in Higher Education, a plan to save small liberal arts colleges in America. And we're delighted that he's joining us now to talk a little bit about this. Jeff, nice to see you. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. I'm happy to share the story. Good. So let's, to give a sense to people about uh, maybe dire straits might be a little bit too strong. I'm not so sure it is. Tell us about about the college in 2004 and what sort of difficulties Adrian College was facing. Well, the primary difficulty was enrollment. We had dropped uh, in my first year, which would have been 05, uh, to about 840 students. And they'll teach you in president's school that any school that drops below 1,000 students may not have the critical mass they need to survive. So we had gotten down to 840, which, of course, leads to deferred maintenance, It leads to uh, lower salaries. It really leads to a campus where morale goes down. And so I really think from uh, top to bottom, even though we had a wonderful staff and some wonderful students, that we weren't in a good spot, and we really called it a downward downward spiral. Hmm. Talk about how it felt to you on the campus. You know, you've been involved in, in academics for a lot of years. So when you get there and you see that number down to 840 and you're walking around the campus, what were you feeling about the, 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 the culture and the morale there? Yeah, I think what I was feeling is that people go into education because they, uh, they believe in it and they, they want to do something good for this world. And so I felt like there were a lot of good people, but I also felt like they didn't have the resources they needed to succeed. And that was especially true with the teaching faculty. We had IT that was absolutely dated. We had classrooms that did not have uh, what they uh, required to to teach well. And so it was sort of um, a wonderful group of people enveloped in an envelope that had uh, no resources that they could use to do their job. Uh, This is going to be a bit of a spoiler. I'm going to jump ahead to where the college is now. Uh, just to, to give people a sense of the progress that's been made. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about how you got there. So g- give me a snapshot now. We talked about back in 2004, enrollment down to 840. What is it now? Now enrollment is uh, 1,750. Um, we've invested about $65 million in facilities. Our faculty has grown from 63 to about 110, so it's almost doubled. Uh, we've started eight academic institutes. We, we've tripled the, the, the revenue. So we're in a pretty good spot. I suspect people will be listening to this and saying to themselves, that sounds miraculous. It almost sounds unbelievable. So it, it, give me a sense. What was your plan? What did you, when you, when you walked around and you saw these problems and you realized that this, you know, this college may now not be sustainable anymore unless we make changes, what was the first idea that you had for the most significant change that had to be made? Well, the first idea we had was that we had better get in the head of an 18-year-old because even though none of us were 18, we had to understand how kids made decisions about how they go to college, where they go to college. And with uh, 650 private institutions very similar to Adrian, they had a lot of choices. And so when we got into the head of an 18-year-old, what we decided was that there were a lot of students that felt like they wanted small classes, they wanted personal attention, they wanted to know the professors, they wanted individual tutoring if they fell behind. They wanted that small uh, campus high-touch environment, 
but they also wanted something else outside the classroom. They wanted to pursue something that they've loved for many years, whether it be in athletics or in music or in the student newspaper, some co-curricular activity that they could say, you know what, I'm getting a great education, I'm working towards my degree, but I can also pursue something outside the classroom that I absolutely want to do for four more years. So you've gotten into their head, so to speak. You, you have a better handle of what they're looking for as an 18-year-old coming out of high school. Now the question becomes, all right, how do you provide that for them? So what was your plan? So the plan was really a, a, a three-legged stool. The, the first leg was to um, identify uh, what students want to do outside the classroom. And in large measure, we leverage sports. And so we built sports facilities. We built, we had, we didn't have a football stadium at the time. We played at a local high school, so we built a football stadium. We, we built an ice arena. We're in Michigan. It's cold six months a year. <laughs> and so we needed ice. We built a new baseball stadium because we were playing baseball at a city park. And we built beautiful on-campus facilities that we thought would be attractive to kids who many times are coming out of high schools that have great facilities and they don't want to take a step back in college. The second thing we did was we assigned one person to each one of those sports, and we said, you don't have any other responsibilities at this school except to recruit for this sport. And so if you're not filling your teams, if you're not bringing in good academic kids that can also uh, you know, perform on the field, then we're going to come to you and say there's a problem. And then the third thing we did was we said, you know, we've got to provide ongoing support for these programs to the extent that we give them buses to get the games. We give them meal money on the road. We give them good uh, equipment so that we don't say to the kids, hey, we've got great facilities and a team, but find a friend with an old station wagon with wood on the side and get up to whatever <laughs> college you're playing this weekend. And so all of that, I think, really fit together, as I said, in this sort of three-legged stool that was a plan that ended up working. Why do you think? You're, you were, as a young person, you're, a, you're an athlete. I, I understand you still do some skating. I skate right. with the boys every once in a while. Right. Let me score a goal uh, now and again. Oh, that's good. They're smart. Let the president, <laughs> let the president put one in here and yeah, it'll, it'll keep him happy. Exactly. So, but even understanding that, now you're in a different position. What was it about the notion of sports, intercollegiate athletics, that you thought would provide a value that could help you to grow, grow your en enrollment? Yeah, so, you know, if the two most important uh, groups on any campus uh, are the faculty and the students, I would put uh, athletics and maybe even the NCAA by extension in the third uh, place there because I really look at diamonds and ice rinks and track and field complexes and football and lacrosse fields, uh, even basketball courts, as classrooms outside the classroom. And, you know, if you want to learn about teamwork, fortitude, working to a goal bigger than yourself, uh, trying to... Uh, sort of uh, put the team before the, the self, uh, this is what people learn on sports fields. And there's not an employer in this country, I don't care if it's in business or in education or the church, any industry you go into that doesn't want those qualities. And in fact, that's the essence of a liberal arts education. And so uh, we feel like uh, the extension of, of learning takes place as soon as the kids get onto a team. And we don't apologize at all for leveraging sports. We love it. We feel like uh, we want the kids to win. I tell them Americans are winners. And uh, if you're in second place uh, for the job you want someday, you're still sending out resumes. <laughs> and so you might as well get with it and try to win and, and be proud of how you conduct yourself uh, on the field. And we feel like it creates a better human being and a more educated person. Let me ask you about the reaction that you had when, when you started formulating this plan. And let's look at some, some of your different stakeholders at the college. When you go to your board and essentially you say to them, here's my plan. I want to grow our enrollment. And I think this is a way that we can do it here by embracing sports and embracing the sports culture on our campus. And oh, by the way, that means we're going to have to spend money. 
Yeah, we're going to have to build a football stadium. We're going to have to do fields and rinks and everything else. What kind of reaction did you get from your board? Well, really, it boiled down to three words with the board as to why they were willing to launch this. And those three words were return on investment. You know, boards are often made up of, of business leaders who understand that, it, it, you know, the old cliche, it takes money to make money is true. So the number I gave them in my very first meeting was $30 million. I said, I need $30 million bucks. I'm willing to go raise $15 million, but you're going to need to borrow $15 million as soon as possible so I can start uh, building these venues. And, of course, their first question to me is, what is the return? And as soon as I could show them that we would grow the campus from 840 to 1700 with this plan, they couldn't uh, borrow the money fast enough. So in terms of the board being a stakeholder, they were all in. They said, you know, we believe in this plan and, and it's simple enough to understand, um, but, um, but sort of consistent enough with who we are that we want to do it. If I can mention one other stakeholder, though, Jack, if you don't mind, and this is the one that most people ask me about, and that is the faculty. Right. I was going to ask about that. Because as we know, and I, I'm, I'm not directing this at Adrian College, but we've seen studies that said there is some significant resistance on the part of some members, some faculty members in various academic institutions towards the notion of, uh, of, of growing sports. Some even have concerns about the very presence of sports on campuses. So what sort of reaction did you get? And I get that. And, and you know, I, um, I think our faculty are fantastic and really doing the most important work on, any, on our campus on any given day. And yet I said to the faculty, uh, if you don't have kids sitting in front of you each day when you come to work, if you don't have an institution that's financially viable, then what's it all worth anyway? So I told them they needed to wait five years. If they would wait five years and let me grow the campus, that ultimately the revenues that I raised through increased student enrollment would be directed to them and their needs. And they were wonderful because of the transparency of that statement and my willingness to say it'll go to new science buildings, which we now have, a new business building, new music buildings, new uh, IT infrastructure. Really, every academic venue except one on our campus has been redone because of the revenues we've generated. So it was really a 10-year plan. The growth through sports was called Renaissance One. The academic mission, the, the, the money that we put towards uh, academics was called Renaissance Two, and we did both in 10 years. It, it, when you look at it, it reminds me of, uh, you recall the, the movie Field of Dreams and, and the, the line that everybody talks about, you know, if you build it, they'll come. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like that's what you were doing. Well, you know, it is what we were doing. Um, and I, you know, I want other colleges to do this too. You know, my feeling is that Division Three sports is one of the best kept secrets in America. And truly, these are student athletes who aren't getting one dime of academic scholarship and only playing their game because they love it and they're passionate about it and they want to build those memories and those skills that we talked about earlier. And so everything that we've done, I think, is uh, portable, it's replicable, and it's something that I hope that many of our schools, which really do need enrollment growth um, badly, can, uh, can replicate. Let me talk about, about what advice you might have for some other schools based upon your own experiences. So uh, let, let's go back to the, the very beginning. You, you go to your board. You, you show them the return on investment here, how the numbers just work. You bring in a certain amount of students. Their tuition equals a certain amount of dollars. You multiply that, and you know what's coming in that you didn't have before. And then you start looking at, all right, what, what are our costs going to be, and how do those things match up? Um, if, if somebody else is talking with you, another college president, and they say, that, that sounds really interesting, what should my first step be? 
Yeah, so uh, the first step, I think, is always transparency and let people know what you want to do and why you want to do it and, and why the plan works. The second thing to do is to is to put together a plan and stick to the plan. And I'm not talking about a plan that takes two years I'm talk to, to create. I'm talking about a plan that takes two months to put together. And then the third thing that I would recommend that presidents do is uh, not try to uh, do exactly what Adrian College did with the, 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 the sports and some of the cultural activities that we leveraged, but to look at your area, your community, uh, your students, and to figure out what might work for you. You know, uh, hockey is, as I said earlier, a very popular sport in Michigan, and it worked great. It may not work in Southern California. Maybe it's competitive surfing down there, but we don't have any, you know, oceans around <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, not so. a lot of waves in, in, <laughs> yeah, in right. so mid-state Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the point is to figure out what's right for you and, and to do that on your own campus and then to tell people openly that this is what we're doing and this is why, but ultimately we're about educating kids and this mm -hmm. money will flow back to academic affairs. Give me some more specifics about what types of, of teams you added, how many teams you added, what sort of specific facilities you added here, all of which was part of this, this plan that you've described for us. Yeah, so in terms of teams, um, we went from uh, 16 teams to 42 teams. Um, I could name many of them, but the right. one that people get get the best chuckle out of is uh, competitive bass fishing, in which we now have a varsity bass fishing team in which we get 40 to 50 emails a month from kids that say, I want to come to Adrian because I want to be on this bass fishing team. I had no idea that bass fishing was this popular. But we've, so in terms of facilities and equipment, I now uh, the college now owns two bass boats. But we did build, as I said, a, a new football and lacrosse and soccer stadium, a new ice rink, a new baseball field. We have a track and field complex. Obviously, we have uh, practice fields. But, you know, I also want to add that we also have a new symphony, and we have a symphony director, mm -hmm. and we have a new marching band and a marching band director because kids love those activities as well. And they feel like once they get out of high school, they want to keep doing them, and so we give them uh, great facilities and great conductors and teachers and equipment to, and instruments to do that with. Talk about the marching band because I found that was interesting, and I was looking through your book, and I, I saw where you, you had talked about that. And somebody might say, okay, I understand the concept of adding sports teams and sports facilities. How does a marching band fit into that? And, and what's, where do you get your return on investment there? Yeah, so, you know, when I, uh, this gets back to the, the mind of an 18-year-old. There were so many young people that absolutely loved being in the marching band in high school. They, that was their identity group. They enjoyed Friday nights under the lights. It was fun. They would do social activities, and they would obviously play their instrument. And so uh, we started the band thinking that maybe we could get 80 kids, 20 a year, over a four-year period of time. And when the band was on our field last year, we had 118. I counted the, the instruments and the heads uh, when they were out there. And so if we're making $25,000, which we do each year on each one of those kids, that's what Adrian College pulls in, and let's just multiply it by 100, that's a lot of revenue. And it's more than we pay the band director and that we have to invest in the band. And that's why you can build new science buildings with what's left over. And so uh, marching band is something that um, has been very successful for us. And, and the kids obviously then end up having smaller bands that play at events and, and have concerts. So it really all works together to even help campus spirit and esprit de corps. Let me ask you about that because we obviously you were successful in increasing your enrollment dramatically. You know, you're talking about 840 to about 1,700 students right now. One of the things that you talked about that you wanted to have an impact on was the, the morale on campus. What does it feel like on the campus now as opposed to when you first got there in 2004? Well, I think it feels differently. And, you know, I think that Adrian is very similar to a lot of other small privates, which is that they're in small towns 
And so there's not a lot of activity around. They're not in New York City, San Francisco, LA, and some places where perhaps there's a whole lot more uh, energy just sort of uh, organically coming out of the ground. But beyond that, you know, these kids are watching TV and they're thinking, wow, Alabama football or Michigan, you know, state uh, hockey or whatever is really the place to be when you're my age. So we need to create campus environments that really have energy and, as I said, a vitality that the kids say, this is exciting. I want to be around this. And so by starting these sports, by creating these co-curricular experiences, the kids can say, I am passionate about this and I can do it at this school, creates a whole nother level of fun on this campus. And so it's, uh, it's something that I think is very consistent with the history of higher ed in America, which is uh, four years of just great academics and great social life and good fun. I would suspect if somebody's listening to our conversation, and they might be a little bit skeptical about this and they might be saying, well, it, it, is what they're doing just sort of finding athletes who are not perhaps true student athletes and just trying to pump them onto the campus just to generate revenues? Or have you been able to find young athletes, men and women, who indeed are truly student athletes? They gave you the, the athletic component, but are they also enmeshed in the, in, the, in the campus and the academic life of the campus? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's one reason why the faculty have ultimately supported this is that they can look at uh, data-driven results like average ACT, SAT scores and say, well, these are students that are um, highly engaged, bright kids. Obviously, they've gone up every single year, these scores. But maybe more importantly, our retention has just really gone through the roof. You know, we're retaining at a 59% rate 11 years ago. And that's not a good retention rate where almost half the kids are leaving the school before they graduate. And our retention last year was 86%. And so kids that are engaged in the classroom, outside the classroom, stick around and, uh, and finish college. And so uh, this is something that has, I think, really galvanized the college to realizing that this is a model that not only brings in, obviously, talented musicians, talented athletes, involved kids, but brings in kids that really excel in the, in the classroom as well. You sound like you're having fun there. I am having fun. I enjoy this uh, this job much more than I admit on most days. <laughs> well, certainly, given the success that you've experienced, it makes it a little bit easier to enjoy it, doesn't well, it? Thanks for having me. You know, this is uh, it, it is it is a lot of fun, and and you know, I just so believe in these young people and the future of this country with them leading it someday, and and to play some little role in, in educating them is is deeply meaningful. Well, Jeff, thank you. It's it it was um, it, I I think it's an inspiring story, an inspiring success story, uh, a story about the value of athletics and college athletics and what it can provide to that overall college experience. And I, it sounds like the the young people at Adrian College are getting all of that now. Well, thank you, Jack. You know, um, this is such a, a wonderful four year window of time in all of our lives, yeah. right? And it, it can't. Uh, it can't be gained once it's gone. It, it, this is this is your time, and that's what we try to give to them is that four year of memories and friends and great education and the, the kind of experience that they'll look back on and say, I have no regrets. <laughs> Don't we all wish we could go back? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Our thanks again to Dr. Jeff Docking from Adrian College for joining us. That does it for us for today. I'm Jack Ford. I hope you join us again soon on the College Sports Insider.